My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Children, uh, we are so glad that you're here today. Uh, It's awesome to see you here, that you would take time out of your Christmas morning to come and be with us. Uh, After last night, we weren't really sure if it would just be myself and my family and my staff, but it is awesome that you've joined us today. Um, And we're going to be continuing this morning with the series that Derek has begun. If you've been with us for a while, Derek has been taking us through a series called The Songs of Advent. Advent is a season of, of expectation, a season of anticipation, a season of waiting as we prepare for Christmas Day. And so we've had these songs. He's taken us through uh, Zechariah's song and the angel song and Mary's song. And today I am uh, excited to bring you the the message on Simeon's song. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn with me if you'd like. But I will tell you this. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It's a different translation than we normally read. But I want to read it from this because I like this particular translation So maybe you just want to follow along, but do mark it so that you can go back and read it later as well. Eight days later, eight days after Jesus was born, that is, the baby was circumcised. He was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation." which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. The story of Simeon, as you see in those just short few verses, is a story of promise, fulfillment, and praise. Promise, fulfillment, and praise. The the truth is, we don't know a great deal about Simeon. This is the only place in Scripture that he actually shows up. But in these few verses, we do know that Simeon was a devout man, which means that he loved God very much. We know that he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit speaks to him twice in these few verses. More importantly, Simeon is responsive to the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit speaks, Simeon responds and obeys. And we also know that at some point in Simeon's life, 
God has spoken to him and told him, you will not die until you have seen with your very own eyes the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. We don't know exactly when that promise was made, but the, the text seems to imply that it's been a long time, that he has been waiting for a long time for God to keep this promise. And you see, that's the thing about a promise. The promise, a promise, requires waiting. I mean, if you don't have to wait, it's not a promise, right? That's why we like gifts better than promises, and we like have better than hope. We like now better than wait. The truth is, we're not very good at waiting, are we? And it starts early. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of children here this morning, but uh, maybe you can even remember when you were a child as well. If we could remember back to those days, and I ask you the question, when you were young or when your children who are young now think about Christmas, how long does it feel since last Christmas uh, came? What would your answer be? Forever, right? I mean, when you're little, when you're young, I mean, I remember this. I can remember as a kid, you know, one, just being really sad the day after Christmas and thinking, we have to wait an entire year for Christmas to come. And it seemed like the year would just drag on and on. And and especially the closer you got, when the catalogs started coming, we don't even do that anymore, right? But in my day, we got catalogs and we would get those catalogs and it would just seem like forever as we waited for Christmas Day. And then Christmas Eve, it seemed like it took forever to get through the day. Uh, that's the way it was when we were children. Now, it's interesting, as we get older, uh, things change a little bit when it comes to time, doesn't it? Time suddenly begins to fly by. I don't know about you, but it seems like we just did Christmas last year, right? And here we are doing it again this year. The other thing that changes about waiting as we get older is that the things that we find ourselves waiting for get a little weightier. W-E-I-G-H-T, weightier. They get heavier. They get, they get more significant the older we get. I mean, when we were little, I mean really little, it, it seemed like an unbearable burden to have to wait for dessert at the end of the meal, Right? Then when you begin to uh, come into your teen years, you're waiting for school to end for the summer. You're waiting for your driver's license. But as we get older, the issues and the things that we find ourselves waiting for get a lot more significant, a lot heavier. Waiting for love. Waiting for children, particularly for a couple who's had difficulty having children. Waiting for the right job. Waiting for any job. Uh, Waiting for a wayward child to return home. Waiting for a spouse to come to faith. Waiting for retirement or waiting for a doctor's prognosis. The things that we find ourselves waiting for as adults get much more serious the older we get. And so here's another insight into the nature of a promise. Not only does a promise require that we wait, but there's an element of suffering in the waiting. At the very least, we have to persevere. But often the waiting is very painful because the thing that we're waiting for is something that we know will be great benefit or great blessing into our lives. And so there's an element of suffering. I mean, we see that even here in the passage. 
as uh, Simeon uh, prays, he says, you know, Lord, uh, I've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. The reason, that's in the uh, NIV and most of the older versions. The reason I read the NLT is because he really fleshes this out in the NLT. It says, we're waiting for the rescue of Israel. You see, in their waiting for 400 years, Israel has had to endure the oppressive reign of many other rulers. And now they were under the rule of Rome. And so in the waiting, there was a great deal of suffering as they waited for God to keep His promise. There's some of us here today that understand what it means to suffer in the waiting. You've been waiting for something for a long time. And it's painful, it's difficult as you continue to wait. But here's one of the most important insights of this passage with Simeon. If we are waiting for something that God has promised, then we can be absolutely certain that God will keep his promises. Now, I do need to say here that sometimes we wait for things that God has not promised. And that's a whole different message for another time. We'll come back to that some other time. But when we're talking about a promise that God has made, we can be absolutely certain that God will keep His promises. This was the day after 400 years when God determined, I will keep my promise of a coming Messiah. I mean, Israel has been waiting for 400 years. Simeon has been waiting perhaps for decades Can you imagine what it must have been like on that day when Simeon woke up, probably thinking it was just another day like any other day, got dressed, went about his business, but at some point during the day, the Holy Spirit came to him in the same way that the Holy Spirit came to him when he said, you will not die until you have seen the Messiah. And this time the Holy Spirit said to him, today is the day. Today is the day. Get to the temple. Because today God is keeping his promise. And so Simeon goes and he he waits there at the temple. And when Mary and Joseph come in with Jesus, the promise is immediately revealed. He sees Jesus and he knows this is God's promised Messiah. And here's another revelation about the nature of of a promise. It's it's not particularly profound. In fact, it's, it's incredibly obvious but very important. The promise is fulfilled only for those who wait. Simeon received the promise because he waited. You see, promises, at least some of them, are not unconditional. A promise is made and and God says, I will give you this if you will wait. But if we don't wait, we don't get the promise. We get something else. And that's exactly one of the greatest temptations that we face when it comes to waiting. The temptation at some point as we grow weary in waiting is to settle for something else. To settle for something more attainable. Something more readily available. Something not God's best. I'm fairly confident that every one of us in this room have failed on that at some point. At some point in our lives, there's been something that we knew we should wait for, but we got tired of waiting. We got weary in waiting, and so we took matters into our own hands, and we missed God's best. I want to say to you this morning, 
I'm grateful that God is quick to forgive. God is quick to bring his grace. And God's grace is always close at hand. I want you to know this morning that that though we may have missed God's best, God has not turned his back on you and God has not abandoned you. God longs to draw you back into his best. And so one of the things that hopefully we learn from our failures of not waiting is that it really is better to wait. That when God says, I've got something for you, that it really is worth the wait not to pursue a substitute. Simeon received God's promise because he waited. And we will receive God's promises as we wait. Can I just share with you a few of the things from Scripture? This is not even close to an exhaustive list. This is just a representative list, but beloved, I want you to hear these are promises. And if we stand on them, we can be certain that God will fulfill them. Will you hear from John 6, 37? Anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. From Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. From Deuteronomy 31.6, do not be afraid or discouraged, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. From Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the delights of your heart, the desires of your heart. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Philippians 4.19. Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And from Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called by his name. As you wait, I want to warn you that there will be times where you will hear other voices than the voice of the Holy Spirit. You will hear your own voice. You will hear the voice of the enemy. You will hear the voice of others who would give you their agenda. I want you to hear today the promises of God. And to know that you can stand on these promises and he will bring them to pass. Simeon waited and because he waited, he received God's promise. And the fulfillment of a promise is a testimony to the faithfulness of God, to the goodness of God, to the generosity of God. And so in these fulfilled promises, we see the heart of a father who longs to give us his best. And then I want you to see in the end here, Simeon's response. Simeon's response is the appropriate response when God keeps his promises, when God gives us what he has promised to give. And that is his, his response is praise. His response is worship. And so here in Luke 2, 29, uh, the, Simeon's response is the song that we read earlier. I'll read it again right now. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation. 
which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. This was, this was uh, Simeon's cry as he received God's long-awaited promise. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at those words, I hear the, man, the, the, the heart of a man who is content. The heart of a man who says, everything I've lived for is worth it. All the waiting is worth it. My life is now complete because God has kept his promises. You know, I've often wondered what it would have been like to be there. I mean, what do you think it would have been like to actually be in the room on that day when this old man comes into the room? He has been waiting and waiting and waiting for decades. And all of a sudden, he sees the fulfillment of God's promise. As he looks on baby Jesus, he knows this is the Messiah. Can you imagine the, the joy that would have filled his eyes? Can you imagine the, the tears and the worship that would have emerged as he placed his eyes on the long-awaited promise? You know, I, I'm not uh, far from a, um, uh, an expert on, on great art. Uh, it's not one of my things particularly. But uh, there are some artists that I've been moved by over the years. And uh, I've often, you know, noticed that the, the greatest artists, those during the, the Renaissance, the, the masters that we call them today, most of their work was religious in nature. Not necessarily because they were Christians, but because the church paid. In those days, the church was uh, uh, probably the, the primary purchaser of great art. And so all these great artists work for the church one of those is one of my favorites. His name is Rembrandt. Rembrandt was one of the greatest artists, not only of his time, but of all time. And uh, Rembrandt did a lot of work for the church. And I was looking through, several years ago, a collection of Rembrandt's paintings. And I thought it was curious that over his lifetime, Rembrandt twice painted this scene that we're talking about today. Two different times, Rembrandt painted a scene of Simeon on the day that the Lord kept his promise and Jesus was brought in. Now, one of those took place very early in Rembrandt's life. Rembrandt was, um, uh, the people who knew him said he was, he was proud, he was arrogant. He had reason to be in some ways because he was an absolute celebrity. He was as much of a celebrity as you could get in those days. His work was in demand. He was incredibly wealthy because the richest people in the world were buying his work. He was at the absolute top of his game. And that's when he painted the first of the two on the, 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 this moment in time with Simeon. Let me share that picture with you. Here it is. I want you to look carefully at it. Just take a minute. We're going we're gonna to stop here for a second. And let's zoom in so that you can see Simeon and... A little bit better light here. Yeah, let's just, what do you notice in this picture? One of the things that just leaped out to me when I saw this picture is how Jesus is almost, it's almost like Jesus is not really in the picture. I mean, isn't it funny here how he's holding Jesus like a loaf of bread almost on the side of his arm over here? And it's like Jesus is just kind of a, a, an accessory to the picture. What's in the middle of the picture is Simeon teaching or instructing Mary and Joseph. 
So at this time in his life, when, when Rembrandt was at the absolute top of the world as a celebrity, as a wealthy man, this was his image of what must have happened on that day. Now let me tell you, before we look at it, the story behind the second painting. The second painting came at an entirely different time in Rembrandt's life. This was toward the end of his life. In fact, this second painting of Simeon is one of the last paintings that he would ever do as an artist. He was old. He was now poor because he had squandered almost everything that he had ever made. Uh, he, He had to sell everything he owned just to pay his debts as an old man. When Rembrandt died, he was buried in a pauper's grave. That's how poor he had become. He was no longer proud. He was broken. But those that knew Rembrandt said that in his brokenness, his connection with God changed dramatically. Previously, he was a professional Christian. He worked for the church. He did these great works of art, but he really didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus But as he became more and more broken, he found his need for God. And this second picture was one that, like I said, one of the last paintings that he ever drew. Let's take a look at it. And I want you to see the difference. Now let's zoom in and really get close to Simeon and the child. Now, maybe you're not a huge lover of art. Maybe this is kind of like something that you don't really see. But to me, there is a completely different spirit about this painting. Here, Jesus is absolutely, he he is consumed not with Mary and Joseph and doing his duty as 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 a priest. He is consumed with the child. He is consumed with Jesus. And as I look into his eyes, what I see are the eyes and the heart of a man who is filled with worship. With worship. That is our appropriate response to God's promises kept. That's why we gather here today. We are here today on Christmas Day because God kept his promise. We are here to worship because we have received the gift of God that Israel and Simeon waited for for so long. Now, I do want to say this, and let's bring the lights back up, and we can move on from this picture. But I do want to say this in closing. I need to acknowledge that we live in a very significant time in history. We live in a time that the theologians have called between the now and the not yet between the now and the not yet. And what that means is this. In some ways, we have already received the great promises of God. We have received His Son, Jesus Christ. We have received the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And beloved, that means that we have incredible benefits right now because of what God has already done. We already have those gifts. We already have the blessings that come with them. And yet, there are, num- there are other promises that God has not yet fulfilled. There are promises that are still to come. And some of these promises are rooted in the fact that we still live in a broken world. 
And so if there are times in your life where you really feel like, I don't feel like I'm living in the promise very much. I feel like I'm living more in the, in the realm of brokenness in this world that we're in. Just understand this. That just as God was faithful to keep his promises the first time, God will be faithful to keep his promises the second time. And can I just remind us very quickly of what some of those promises is, are. That God has promised that his son, Jesus Christ, will come back again. And that he will claim his bride. The promise that everything that was lost in Eden is going to be restored to its former glory. The promise that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. The promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, one that, is, uh, that no longer even needs a sun or moon for light because God's glory will be our light. Beloved, those are promises that are not yet fulfilled. So we live today in between the now and the not yet. We come with joy celebrating what we have received. But like Simeon, we will leave here today with the understanding that there are some things that we still must wait for. I want to encourage us today. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Don't stop waiting. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for something that is not God's best. It's worth the wait. Today, we're going to worship God through celebrating Holy Communion. If you've been with us this month, we've not been celebrating communion on Sunday mornings as normal. And part of that was to add to this sense of waiting, of anticipation. But today, we celebrate Holy Communion together. We're going to celebrate God's fulfilled promise, not only of a son who was born in a manger, but God's promise of a Savior who would give his life so that your sins and mine would be forgiven, of a Savior that would make us right with God so that we would have all the benefits of justification and righteousness. I want us to do this together. I'm going to involve you in this. We want to prepare for what we're about to do. And so I want to ask you to begin with me in a, in a statement of corporate confession. Would you read with me together as we all together confess to the Lord? Do we have these? Here we go. Let's read this together. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we confess that all too often we have left Jesus in the safety of the manger far removed from the realities of everyday life. Therefore, we find ourselves captivated by the things of this world, the lure of earthly power, the gratification of our flesh. We are driven by our own plans, schemes, and designs. We have left so little room in our hearts for you. Father, give us a fresh revelation of yourself. Come to us on the road we travel this day. Deliver us from ourselves and the lure of this world to live freely and fully in the abundant life we find only in you. Amen. Now I'm going to ask those who are preparing 
the elements to come forward and get them ready. As they come, I want to invite you to bow your heads for just a moment. Just to bow your heads. We've just prayed a prayer of confession together. But I want to encourage you in these few minutes to pray a prayer of personal confession. If there is anything in your heart that you know is keeping you from full surrender to the Lord, if there is anyone here that that has anything in your life that you know is standing in the way of peace with God, would you just take a moment right now to confess that as you prepare to come and celebrate what Christ did on the cross? Now I want you to hear these words from God's word. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. On the authority of God's word, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I want us to continue as we prepare. We're not quite ready to come and receive yet. But as we prepare, can we declare together this Christmas creed? A creed is a, is a proclamation of faith, a declaration of faith. Can we do this together? I will read the, the words in white. You will read the words in yellow in response. The peace of the Lord be with you. I believe in Jesus Christ and in the beauty of the gospel begun in Bethlehem. and whose spirit still brings music to persons all over the world in towns both large and small. I believe in the one for whom the crowded inn could find no room, and I confess that my heart still wants to exclude Christ from my life today. I believe in the one who rules the earth, ignored, and the proud could never understand, whose life was among common people, whose welcome came from persons of hungry hearts. And I believe in the one who proclaimed the love of God to be invincible. I believe in the one whose cradle was a mother's arms, whose modest home in Nazareth had love for its only wealth, who looked at persons and made them see what God's love saw in them, who by love brought sinners back to purity, and lifted human weakness up to meet the strength of God. I believe and I confess our everlasting need of God, the need for forgiveness for our selfishness and greed, the need of new life for empty souls, the need of love for hearts grown cold. I believe in God who gives us the very best of himself. I believe in Jesus, the Son of the living God, born in Bethlehem this night for me and the world. Would you pray with me as I pray in preparation for communion? Indeed, O God, we believe in the one born in Bethlehem this night. We give you thanks for all the gifts that you have given us through time. We praise you for his birth. 
for how he lived his life as the servant of your most holy will, and for how in obedience and in love he finally gave himself over to death, even death on a cross for our sakes, thereby opening to all people the gates of heaven and the way to eternal life. Wherefore, O God, we spread this table before you as commanded to us to do on the night he was betrayed. We remember on that night how he took bread and he gave you thanks for it as even now we give you thanks, O God, for our daily bread and how he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which was broken for you. In like manner we recall how when the meal was done, Jesus took the cup, the cup of blessing. And after giving thanks, offered it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Bless, O God, this bread and this juice, that it may be for us communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Send your spirit upon these elements upon us and grant that we may obtain maturity of faith and live in him and through him faithful and righteous all our days we ask through christ our lord as we pray the prayer he taught us to pray would you join me our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to invite you to stand now and come. As you come, you'll take a piece of the bread and you'll dip it in the juice. Would you come celebrating a God who keeps his promises? a God who has kept his promise in his son, Jesus Christ. Would you come receive the promise of eternal life because of what he did on the cross?